0: But I'm excited this morning. I'm so excited about a new series that we're starting entitled After God's Heart. And uh, Sanctuary Church, if you're new, we're a Bible teaching church. We go through books of the Bible, but we also drill down occasionally and uh, unpack concepts like what it means to have a heart for God. And so uh, David is who we're going to be looking at for the next six weeks, the life and the prayer of David. We know more about him than almost any other Bible character except for Jesus himself. And he's an example of what it means to to have a heart for God. And so uh, I just want to talk about this for a moment here, because think about this, think about your heart. It is at the very core of your life. And so this is where God meets you. This is where God traffics is in the world of your heart here. And so uh Jesus said to love the Lord, your God, with all your, yeah, and so uh it's a key decision in our decision making, because how often have you heard somebody say that, you know what, you've just got to follow your, yeah, and so your heart is at the center of your emotions. How often, you know, have we said, you know, I don't know that I could just give them my Heart, you know, and so it's also at the center of your dreams. Think about this here. You know, uh, you talk about something you might want to give your heart to and you say, I just don't know if I could give my heart to that, you know, so it is at the core of who you are. And the Bible puts it this way in Proverbs. It says, above all else, above everything else, guard your, for out of it flows the very issues of life. And so we're going to pause for the next six weeks. And we're going to talk about your heart. We're going to talk about how your heart, you can have a heart for God, because the one thing you really have the ability to control and to influence is your heart. And so, and I get it, I get it, you know, people here, you know, you might say, well, I, you know, I'm not so sure how I feel about that, signing up, you know, to uh, to hear about having a heart for God. You know, some people really excited, you know, fired up about that and can't wait to get started on that. But then there's others maybe, you know, you're thinking, ah, I'm new to church, you know, and I've just got to listen and hear and see what this looks like. You know, I've got to be practical here, you know. And so others, you know, would say, you know what, it's a new concept for me to give God, you know, my heart here. So uh, my other church, you know, I was hurt and I was hurt there. And I don't know that I want to, you know, jump full in again. You know, I'm not sure how I feel about that. Well, regardless of where you land, and I know we land all over the place, but wherever you land here, we're going to look at David who was renowned, renowned in history for having a legendary heart for God. So today, here's what we're going to do. We're going to do three things. Number one is we're going to discover what does it look like? What does it look like to have a heart for God? And then we're going to look at Saul and we're we'll looking look at David on what it looks like to be half-hearted and what it looks like to be full-on, full heart toward God. And then the last thing we're going to do is this. We're going to talk about how can you move in a direction of having a heart toward God. I really think one of the most difficult and courageous decisions that you'll ever make is to put God first in your life and really to have a heart for Him. And why do you think that is true? Why is it the hardest thing to do to put God first? Why do you think that it is? Because we all share a common flaw. Everyone in this room shares a common flaw on why it's hard to put God first to make him the center of your life. Because we want to be in... Yeah, we want to be in control. We want to be in charge here. We want to call the shots. We want to have the last word. I mean, that is the story of mankind. If you think about it, that is the very story of mankind here. You think about in the beginning, God creates a, a perfect world. Okay, everything is right. He puts humanity in there, a man and a woman there, and with a profound sense of purpose there to govern, to manage the creation there. And all God says is this, just trust me. Just do what I say, just let me be first place in your life. And in a perfect world, perfect environment here, they said, no, we'll decide for ourselves. We want to do life on our own terms, not on your terms. We'll pick from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We'll do what we want here. And as a result, it damaged their heart. And so what we need to see is because of the damage that it did to their heart, okay, it damaged relationship with God, damaged relationship with one another. And the story of humanity has been living out the damage that has been done to our hearts here, the collective damage. Think about it. The selfishness, all the evil, all the racism, all the corruption, all the sexism, all the oppression, okay, all of it in the world because of the damage that we did to our hearts here. And the whole story of the Bible is this. God is on a rescue mission. God is on a rescue mission on a, a, a plan. That God's rescuing your heart. Okay. And so uh, to get your heart right with God again, that's the whole story there. So if you want to pull out your outlines, we're going to talk about this. And so what happens here, this is a little context as we're looking in First Samuel, Second Samuel. Uh we're looking at the life of David. And so to set the context here, First Samuel is a book about a transition where the nation of Israel goes from a theocracy where God is is, is ruling the nation, okay, to a monarch, a, uh, a monarchy where they're picking King Saul. And so uh first Samuel chapter eight, verse seven, in your notes or on the screens if you want to look, says this. And the Lord replied, It is me they're rejecting, not you, Samuel. They don't want me to be their king any longer. So there it is. There's a fatal flaw coming to expression where they're saying, we don't want God to be the king here, okay? We want we want to pick somebody. We want Saul. In this case, it was uh, their, the, uh, a human king there. And so they wanted to have, you know, somebody looked like a king and smelled like a king and acted like a king and uh, was a chief of the army and all that there, and a king that they could ultimately influence there. And this is how they choose a king, First Samuel chapter nine, verse two. It says, "Saul was the most handsome man in Israel, head and shoulders, taller than anyone else in the land." So Saul was awesome. I mean, Saul was a was a specimen, and he stood above all the people there. He was impressive. He was handsome, rock star, you know, good looks, bright future, you know, natural leader, a man without equal was Saul there in the prime of his life, stunning, you know, in in, in his disposition there in a crowd, and so. By the way, it didn't end up very well for Saul. So some of you that are really good looking for Saul, uh, just remember, sometimes it's good to be ordinary looking and average like me. But anyway, uh, so, so here's a summary, though, of Saul's life. Okay, a summary of his life is this. Here's the whole deal, 1 Samuel 9 through 31. Saul never trusted God. Saul never trusts God. So Saul had an attitude like this. Okay, God, what did you say? Okay, I got it, but I got to sort it out for myself, and it's not convenient, or I don't agree with you. You know, God, life can be tough, and there's real battles, and I got to make decisions, and life can be intense, and I got to call the shots here, so I'm going to call the shots. So, God, I'll listen to what you have to say, but I'm going to do what I want to do. So Samuel, the prophet, the great prophet, comes to Saul and says, Look, if you'll just do what God says, if you just follow him, God is going to bless you and give you victory over your enemies. But Saul never does it. Saul goes his own way. And so what we see here is God's working on Saul and God's chasing down Saul and working on his heart and pursuing him. God gives him decades, you know, to respond, you know, to God's blessing in his life and wanting him to follow him. And so but Saul never trusts God because Saul's half-hearted here. Uh, What I want you to lock into is this. I want you to lock into this, that after 25 years, after 25 years, God said, you know what? I'm done, and you're not going to be king anymore. But it was 25 years, and I say that because some people, you know, if you're new to church, you have this view of God that, you know, God maybe impresses something, or you know you're supposed to do something, and you don't do it in your life, and you feel like God's like, oh, I, I, that's one right there. You do that again, and you're in trouble. That's two times you disobeyed me. What do you do? That's three. Three strikes, you're out of here. No, God's not like that. Got 25 years chasing after Saul and Saul rejecting him. And only after 25 years, it, God would have given him another 25. But a year goes by, five years, 10 years, 15, 20. After 25 years, God says, time out time for a new king here. And so Samuel then comes to Saul in another scene here in uh, in 1 Samuel chapter 15. And he comes to him and, uh, uh, and God said, you know, uh, I'm going to help you. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to give you victory uh, in battle over our most wicked rival, the Amalekites, who are just unspeakably wicked. And so God said, look, now go attack them, attack Amalek. And I want you to utterly destroy everything. Don't bring anything back. No spoils, no gold, no silver. Don't bring the king back, Agag. Don't bring livestock. And livestock was was very valuable then. No goats, no cows, no sheep, no nothing. Don't bring a thing. That's all, I'm, that's all I want you to do. And so utterly attack and don't spare them. Eradicate them. God's order, incredibly clear, Don't bring anything back. Don't bring livestock back. No plunder. Leave it alone. Everything, leave alone there. And so after the battle, Samuel there engages uh, Saul there and says, hey, how'd it go? You know, he said, did you obey? You know, Saul, did you do what God asked? And and, uh, Saul says, yes, I did. And so he says, yeah, you didn't kill any sheep, right? You kill any sheep. uh, I mean, you didn't bring any sheep back. You killed them all, right? Yes, I did. And Samuel says, "You know, uh, I, I, I got, a, I got a little problem here. You're saying you didn't, you, you, you killed all the livestock, and they're all gone, right? There's none existing, right? They're all gone, right? Because yeah, they're all dead. They're, they're all dead. They're all gone, and uh, I don't know what you're talking about here." He says, you know what, what, what am I hearing in the background there? And so, you know, Saul, he's the type of guy who's got to land on his feet, right? He, he's, he's almost like reflexive. He's going to have a response for that. And so, you know, so he says this, 1 Samuel 15, 5 says, oh, that, those sheep, oh, yeah, yeah. So I brought them, yeah, yeah, yeah. I brought them to sacrifice to the Lord your God, that's what I did, yeah. To worship, to sacrifice, that's why I spared. So he begins to manipulate here, talks a good talk, you know, and he's so full of of narcissism and so full of himself there that he's gotta put a twist on it. And yeah, the animals they're there to there to worship God. And you can see he's phony. You can see he's just faking it there. And he spiritualizes his narcissism. He spiritualizes uh, his intentions, his bad uh, disobedient intentions and his disobedience. And he's always compromising. And that's who he was. He has all these lame excuses here. And so uh, so, the, so he wants to look good. He wants to look good before the people more than he wants to look good before God. And so Saul's like, you know what? Hey, time out, time out. I know it looks like it's about me, but it's really not about me. It's all about God. You see, I disobeyed God and kept all the sheep and the animals so we could sacrifice those. See, so it's actually for God here. And so uh, it would be like you, you know, having a business. God's saying, no, I'm going to bless your business, but just obey me. Just do what I tell you to do and honor me. And you don't cheat. Don't rip people off. And you cheat and you rip people off and you make great profits and you give something back. You tithe on the profits and you say, see, God, it's all about you. You know, I cheated, but, uh, but I gave back to you. And that's what he was doing. He's saying, "May I may have cut some corners, but yeah, really, I really, I want to honor God here. And so another one of the biggest verses in the Bible, 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 22, in your notes and on the screens, says this. But Samuel replied, What is more pleasing to the Lord? Your burnt offerings and sacrifice or your obedience to his voice? Listen, obedience is better than sacrifice, and you've rejected the command of the Lord, and he's rejected you as king. And so what does God want? Does God want sacrifice and perfect church attendance, and get, or does God want you to obey him and do what he says here? Because see, like Saul, you can outwardly be, you know, like this religious person here. But inwardly, you can disobey. And you can put on a show there like Saul did, but in the heart, the motives are, are wrong there. So the problem says obedience is what God is after here. Just do what he says. Obedience from your heart, what God makes real to you. And so scene number three, we're shifting. That was Saul. Now we're going to look at David, okay, the half-hearted guy. Now we're going to look at the man who has a heart for God. So he contrasts him. God says to him, you know, uh, I want you to anoint a new king. And so they begin this journey. He goes, uh, go down to Jesse's house and there's seven sons there. Uh, are there sons of Jesse that are there? And so he begins checking the sun's there and there's a guy named Eliab and this guy was like this guy was like Mike Trout you know he's like big buff strong you know the all-american guy you know we would have all picked this guy we we would have picked him to be the next king and and uh and so he's all all fired up you know he goes yeah that must be the one there he goes no that's not the one he's not it and then he sees the next son and he's saying well he looks pretty good there and uh and so long pause no he He's not the one there. And uh, they go through one, two, three, no, five, no, six, no, seven. He's like, dang, that's it. And then there's one son there that didn't even get invited. He's considered not even important enough to be invited to the big event. Not even invited to the big event here. And so, uh, and so how often then, uh, People are overlooked, and he brings up David. He's like he's like a kid, you know. Uh and so he says, Yes, this is the guy, the most unlikely. The little one there, the one that is that looked was was overlooked, and he says, That's him. And so this big verse in the Bible, first Samuel sixteen seven says, But the Lord said to Samuel, Don't judge by his appearance or his his height there. The Lord doesn't see things as you see them. People judge. And they do, and we do, by outward appearance. But the Lord looks at what? The heart. See, God cares most about what? Your, see, God, what determines your spiritual life is your, and so God looks at your heart. So what impresses people, you just need to see this, what impresses you, or what impresses me, doesn't necessarily impress God. He chose the most unimpressive. He chose the one not even invited to the big event here. God often chooses those who are overlooked because God is one God who looks at the heart. And so that's why he overlooks all the, the older brothers there. And see, and what God saw in David was he saw a king. No one else saw it. But see, God sees in you. You need to get this this morning. That God sees in you what no one else sees. Cause he sees your heart and other people may not be impressed with you, but God is impressed with the world of your heart there. So Eliab who all, who we would say, Oh, that guy, he's the number one draft pick. I mean, he's the guy there, you know, tall, strappy, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger, you know, Bill there, you know, when he was in shape anyways. And so uh, we would pick that guy every time there. And so, but, but he seemed uh, like the obvious one, but God overlooks the obvious ones to pick the one who was not so obvious, the small and the unlikely one there. And since God looks at the heart, think about this. Since God looks at the heart, what should we look at? Should we not look at our hearts there? And so our motives are intense there. And so, uh, so here's the point there. Now, David is anointed to be king anointed to be king here. And so David, he's going to wear the crown. He's the man, okay? He's the man. But I want you to see something here that I think is incredibly important and incredibly insightful for all of us. Even though David, he's going to wear the crown. He's like a sophomore at Bethlehem High School. Guy's like 15 years old. I'm not kidding. Like 15 years old, okay? But he doesn't begin to strut around like a king, you know? He's not strutting like He doesn't go, okay, let's go pick out my new cool, you know, chariot here and all that. No, you know what do- God does with him? God says, David, um, you get to go back to the ordinary mundane fields here. Grab your fly swatter too because you get king, uh, king elect. Go f- grab your fly swatter because you're going to be f- swatting flies off of sheep. But I'm the king. Be, like I said, you're going to swat flies on sheep and protect sheep for the next fifteen years, but I'm the king fifteen years you're going to do this now why and why why would he God do that to him fifteen years back watching sheep well, see could it be could it be that God wanted to have a a king who had a heart? like a shepherd. Could it be that it might take 5, 10, 15 years for him to fully have the heart of a shepherd? So then when he stepped into it, the right thing, at the right moment, he would have the right heart for the job. See that's how God operates, and so fifteen years later, Saul there is still still the, the the king there, and David, king elect, is uh is waiting in the wings there, and so, um, and so I want us to see this, and in, in, uh, uh, here's the whole message in Acts thirteen twenty two in your notes and on the screens. Don't miss this, but God removed Saul and replaced him with David, and said i found David. Number eight choice. I found David, okay, a man after my own heart. And what does it mean to have a heart for God? Okay, here's, a, here's, a, here's, here's insightful what it means. He'll do everything I want him to do. You want to have a heart for God? God makes something real to you, then you do that. Okay, being a Christ follower is simple as this. Hearing God's voice and do what he says. And you'll have a heart, have a heart for God. And so, uh, now, note, was he a perfect man? Did he murder someone? Was he an adulterer? But he's got a heart for God. How could that be? See, God wants, um, uh, you to do what he tells you to do here. David was like this, I want to follow God and I want him for, for my life here. And so what I want you to see this morning is this, because all of us here, you're on this continuum, either beginning the journey, maybe you're at zero point, you're progressing, you know, in in, in a spiritual walk here, maybe you're in the middle, you know, maybe you don't know where you stand, you're in the middle, or maybe you want to have a heart for God. So in your notes there, I want you to pull out your notes. This is very important and keep this for the future use. Okay. But there's Saul, and Saul would be half-hearted here. And so, uh, so what does that look like that he was half-hearted? Well, he was self-reliant. He was talented. He was, a, he was immensely popular, but he trusted Only in his ability here. All this confidence is in his ability, not in God who gave him the ability here. He would, he had an attitude that I will do things my way, not God's way. He had a mindset. I know better than God. I'll listen to what it, but I know better. He was obsessed with his image there. It was all about the externals and all about the image and all how he looked in front of other people here. And he was, he was alone and he was Isolated there, and he would do what pleased Saul, not what pleased God. He was narcissistic Saul. He was self-consumed, uh, insincere manipulator Saul. Here, he had a mindset of mine in me, and I will do what's good for me. And so, uh, uh, you know, uh, and I think if you think about it, what really belongs to you? You know, what, what do you really own? Do you own your health? I mean, you can eat, you can, you can be vegan and all that, but, but, and drink, you know, purified water and take all the vitamins and all that. And that's great and good to take good care of yourself. But you know what? You can lose your health in a moment, just in a moment. Do you really own your health? Not really. What in your possessions? Do you really own them? I mean, we've sent teams to, to Texas and all the houses we went to, all their possessions are a junk pile out in the street in a moment, everything gone. So, you know, do you own your career? You know, could you, could you lose that? And see, see, what is the one thing that, that, that is really yours? It's a condition of your heart. You have control over that, the condition of your heart. So by contrast from Saul, who had a half heart, okay, David has a whole heart here. And so David had a life of surrender, a life of humility, A life of listening to God here, following God, saying, God, I want what you want for my life. I want to draw near to you. He would he would write psalms like this. As the deer pants for the water, so pants my heart for you, O God. So he identifies with God here. And so where is your heart? Now, um, in the last month, what is the direction that your heart's been going in the last month? See, are you moving in a, a direction that's more important than where you've been. The most important thing is where you're going, not where you've been. So do you have a heart like David there that is moving in a David-like direction? A heart that's all for God. And so, uh, or do you have a heart, that, you know, and I think the answer can be found in ask your spouse, ask your roommate, you know, ask your bed, you know, your good friend, what direction Is their heart going and which way is it? The big issue, again, is not so much where you've been, but the direction that you're going. If we were to ask your spouse, we were to ask your coworkers, we were to ask those who know you best, and say, where is that, that that person's heart going? What's the direction of their heart? What would they say about you? Would you do you draw, maybe in your privacy, draw a little arrow, what they would say about you there? Is it a David-like direction? Surrender to God, humble, listening to God, depending on God, a direction of wholeheartedness toward God. And here's what I know to be the truth about all of us in this room. This is the truth of all of us. And that is your best life, your best life is to the right. Your best life, your best life is in a direction of wholeheartedness by God. How can you say that? Because I know this. You were designed by God to walk with God. You were, that, that was how you were designed there, to walk in nearness to God. And your heart will be most fulfilled when you're walking in that direction. When you're walking in a direction of wholehearted toward God. And so here is the entire purpose of the message this morning. What I want to do is this, with the remaining time here. Is I want to challenge you about how you can go in a David like direction. How you can go in that direction. In your notes, there, there's three points that I have for you. Because it's a choice that you make. It's a it's a courageous choice that you make. Because the truth is this the speaker this morning, does he go in Saul like directions? Yeah, he does. I do. It doesn't take much, you know, I can get overly busy, you know, and people bump into me and people need things, you know, whatever. And I get, I can get going so fast, you know, and, uh, and so, uh, where relationships minimize and I just got to get things done and I don't, and it's subtle. And all of a sudden though, I recognize my heart, it's going in the wrong direction. My heart is very capable of going in a saw like direction. And then I hurt, you know, it's not necessarily intentional. The reality is I hurt, I can hurt someone. And so, uh, so you need to keep this, I think this diagram here as you go through life and refer back to it here. Because from time to time, you're going to need to take inventory on how's my heart doing. And so David was not a perfect man. Psalm 51.5, you know, David declares, I was brought forth in iniquity. And in sin, my mother conceived me. I was born like a heart, like Saul's heart. That's how I was born. But I've grown a heart for God here. And so David was born to be just like Saul's heart there. And so there's another Saul in the New Testament. And you think about him, you know, uh, Saul uh, who became Paul the apostle. And his story was one on the Damascus Road. He was murderous. He was the worst of the worst there, murdering Christ's followers there. And he meets God and Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus. And there's a cataclysmic, dramatic change there. And he begins to follow him. And he says things like this in Philippians 1.21. For me to live now used to be all about me, but for me to live is Christ. That's what life is about for me. And so it was no longer about himself. So here's the three things in your notes there to build a heart for God. Number one is this, is to build a spiritual foundation, a spiritual strong spiritual foundation. So David, and I want to encourage all the students, I want to encourage all the high schoolers, all the college, all the 20-somethings, uh, because David begins when he's 15 years old. Comes king when he's 30. But look, look, look. For 15 years, what do you think he's doing? He's alone. He's alone with God. Where do the Psalms come from? From David being alone with God when he was with the sheep. We're gonna, we're gonna unpack Psalm 23 in just a moment. That's where it came from. Okay, and so there he's building a really strong spiritual foundation there. And so he builds a stellar Spiritual foundation. And, uh, and that inner strength that he built would carry him in his life there. And I think the most powerful thing that you can do, especially everyone, but especially young people like David, is build a spiritual foundation. It's not enough to grow up in church. It's not enough that you were baptized. That's all that's all good. It's not enough that you know you go to church. You've those are all great things. But you need more than that. You need to build a great, strong foundation spiritually in God there. See, and for those of you that are older, I'm challenging you because some of you you just you get it you get in a in a place of just kind of you plateaued. You just plateaued and you just, you're doing your thing and you, and it's good and all that. And you believe Christ and you're following, but you know what? You could build a stronger foundation and I want to challenge you. That's many of you in here, but I want to challenge you because you know what? You don't know what's ahead in your story. You don't know what's coming. Oh, we need to build, you know, really strong foundations. So there's David. He's, how do he do it? He's spending time with God there. Okay, spending time in God's, you know, uh, 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 hearing God's voice. There, he's, you know, uh, and we can do the same thing. We can reflect on the Psalms there and, and hear David's heart and, and hear how he communes with God. And read slow and read the Scripture slow, not just to check the box and yeah, I did my devotional and off to the no, no. Read slow. I read very slow uh, when I when I when I read uh, devotional here. Read books, you know, that can strengthen your walk with God. You can think about it. You can open up the treasures of the greatest Christ followers of all time. And they're in our hands there. See, you need to become a reader. You need to become a reader if you're not. You need to become a reader because when you become a reader, your heart for God will grow. I don't like to read. Well, you can listen then. You can listen while you, you know, in your car and all. So there's David dialoguing with God and he talks to God and he communes with God there. And so building a great spiritual foundation. And the obvious thing is number two, build a heart for God. It is your choice. You can do that. So uh, 1 Samuel 13, Saul, Samuel to Saul says, The Lord has sought out a man, again, after his own heart. The Lord's appointed him to be leader of the people. But then he began to build his heart for God, 15 years there, out as a shepherd, continuing there. So David embraced this powerful, this powerful sense of purpose for his life. That he was gonna be something. Okay, he was gonna be something there, uh, even though he was a shepherd there, he was gonna be a leader. And I, I would hope and pray, and I want so much for everyone here that you would be able to embrace a very strong sense of purpose for your life of what you could be and what God has seen in you if you would give yourself to it. And so uh, to learn your purpose. I think one of the best ways to do that is, is to join Rooted, which we begin again in January. And anybody that's done Rooted, give me a big shout out. And those who haven't done rooted, do they need to do rooted? They said it. I didn't even say that. So cultivate a fresh faith. Number three, he's cultivating intimacy with God here. And so he goes back to the sheep there. And what does he do there? No phone, no laptop, no TV. He's building a spiritual foundation, cultivating his relationship with God. So let me say this. If you were married with kids Or if you have kids, okay? I'm going to downgrade this. You have kids, all right? Even if they're older, you know what? Here's what I found to be true. You have to fight. You have to fight to make time. If you're not willing to fight to make time, you'll probably never make time. You have to sacrifice to make time. If you're a young adult here... You got to be willing to prioritize it and, and, you, and you have to elevate being very intentional about it. Otherwise you'll probably never do it and your heart and you, and you really will not put your, your life trajectory on a, on a, a heart that's growing before God. So let me close with Psalm 23 as the worship team comes up here. And this again, flowed out of David's time alone with God where he just learned to express his feelings of adoration and, and exaltation and magnifying the God that was his. And so you see David reflecting on God and, and think about it. David here he just breathes out the the, the literature of the Psalms and literature of Psalm 23, which is perhaps arguably the greatest piece of literature ever written. And so uh, a, a literary piece that is renowned throughout the world today in every language and throughout the world there in every hospital waiting room, there's Psalm 23. And David there, he he reflects on God and and who God is. And I just want to personalize this because this is what you can do. When your heart is going in the wrong direction, you recalibrate your heart by going back. To what God has said. And David said, the Lord, he's my shepherd. He's not a shepherd. He's not the shepherd, but he's my shepherd. He's the shepherd of my soul. If it wasn't for the shepherd, I wouldn't be here this morning. That's who God is. Wouldn't you want to follow a God like that, that is a shepherd of your soul? He says, I don't have any needs because of this shepherd. He meets me, this God. He meets me. I have all that I need. He said, God is like this. He's a leader and he's he's a guide. This is what God does for me. God does for me what no one else could do for me. He leads me when my heart is so troubled he leads me beside still waters and peaceful streams and god does something no one else can do and he renews my strength my inner strength there and he guides me along paths that i would never go but they're paths of righteousness and they're paths that bring honor to him and god here He's a God who meets me in the darkest, deepest valley. In the original language, the Hebrew word valley. There's many, many words, about eight different words. And they use the most treacherous word for valley. The valley that would be of cliffs 800 feet down. Where the sheep would have to go through this, this ravine there. Where they were trapped and stuck. Uh, where there would be hyenas everywhere. And the hyenas would attack the sheep. And he says it. God is a God who leads me in the worst of all valleys where the hyenas are going to destroy my sheep. But he says, but God, but you're a God that in that worst time, you're a God that is with me and you're close to me. He says, God, you, you honor me. You anoint my head with oil and my life. It just overflows with blessing and surely goodness. And your unfailing love are going to follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And you can just go through the Psalms like that. And you can read them and you can let them just renew your heart. Even when it's going in a Saul-like direction. You're my shepherd. You're personal. You have eyes for me. You care about me. And you lead me. The world, though it breaks my heart, you're the God that restores my heart. Not TV your possessions or anything else. No one can do, God, what you do here. You lead me, God, my feet on the right path. And you've protected me. And in the darkest moments, God, you're with me. When I'm overwhelmed. When loss is devastating, when I'm alone, you sustain me and you walk with me. God, you're so good. Though my enemies want me to fail, and though I have them, you're the God that protects me and blesses me in my cup, my personal cup. I can tell you my personal cup this morning, it's overflowing. You see, God's generous and God is faithful and He's blessed me. My life has been full in the past. My life has been full now in the present, and I know my life, it'll be full in the future. There is no one like this shepherd. So how about you this morning, how would you respond to that? Don't you want to have your heart, a heart for God? Let's pray. Father, you are good and you are loving, and I pray that we would trust you I pray that our hearts would move away from being like Saul and our hearts would move toward being like David. We could want what you want and follow you and surrender to you. God, that you would be center in our lives and you would change, transform our hearts. I've found David, a man after my own heart.